So, okay, this is August the 7th, 2022. Uh, lesson number 31, which is associated with sufferings. And um, I think it's, I was, we weren't on last week. It was the week before, so we're slowly making our way through. And uh, you haven't heard this one before, or you have heard this one before, and that is uh, I have misplaced some of my notes here. Something. And uh, anyway, we'll see how that turns out. Rest the Lord on this. Um, and uh, let's begin here. So uh, what we've been looking at in the last few weeks was is uh, the book of Corinthians, the second book, second letter. Uh, and we'll just touch on it this week. I think I'm going to move, try to move forward because it's kind of bogging me down. But um, I'm thinking back over time here with uh, with the scriptures, teaching the scriptures and so forth. And in my early days, actually I was probably in my teen years that I really understood what it meant to know the Lord. It's when he made himself very visible to me. I had seen it. And the walk of my mom and dad, and how they were very unselfish, and, and uh, but uh, I'd seen how the Lord provided, and uh, we didn't have a lot in those days, and so forth. But anyway, when I was a teenager, I went to a Bible camp and heard some things, and uh, and I think the it went, uh, over a campfire. Uh, they asked the question, does anybody want to uh, re, I forget the word Rededicate. Re, thank you. Rededicate your life. And that's that happened at that that time. And that's when I really realized and understood that the Lord was part of my life. And I was jumping for joy <clears throat> pretty much during those last years. But, you know, the, the, you're um, bound by the many things that you you life itself uh, gives you, hands you, so to speak. And so you get to, those things kind of go by the wayside. But it was a couple of years later that I heard the scriptures and uh, the scriptures that dealt with a future hope and calling for people and for uh, myself. And it was a secret. And it was something authentical. And that really changed my life and made me begin to study and so, uh, and along the way there, when I heard someone teaching, and occasionally somebody would mention, mention a Greek and a Greek word. So I picked myself up a Greek interlinear and the Englishman's Greek concordance. I already knew something about Strong's concordance and Young's concordance and so, and so forth. But this one would show me what the actual word in the Greek would be and so forth. And I would follow, anytime I heard a lesson or whatever, I would follow that interlinear and I could see the words right in front of me, the English word and the actual Greek word and that made a quite an impression on me to the point that it made me want to know the Greek uh, and, and to some level I did get to know the Greek and it was probably a good way to be taught but anyway those were things in my life that were extremely relevant and I was just re- recently reading um, some things in Brin Expositor. <laughs> and if you look at history of how the Lord protected uh, that group of believers and the things that were written, 
you got to think about the fact that they went through World War One and World War Two, and it, there was much effect on uh, much effect of that war on uh, England and those of Great Britain at that time. And it was interesting to note that somewhere around 1947, after the war, uh, d- during the war and so forth, there was uh, very little. Uh, income to support the ministry and so forth. So what they did was they, or what Mr. Welch did was he started writing, he had already written several books, but he started writing uh, the one that we have uh, in the book of John and another one on Isaiah. And he had written 14 years ahead. They had 14 years worth of, of, um, since there. Uh, ahead that they haven't even hadn't even touched, and they had to they refocused a lot of their time on uh, the mystery and, and things like that. But it really caught my eye that during all of that, uh, what they went through and so forth, uh, the word was number one, and it was. I mean, I'm looking at a guy who did something amazing, and he wrote uh, uh, articles that would go 15 years into the future. And, uh, and I look at myself, it's like, yeah, you're lucky to make it to get through one week, one weekend on, uh, with these Bible studies. But uh, anyway, it is, a, I think, something of, worthy of our attention to recognize that what has gone before us, uh, for those who've known the word and who've sacrificed and given their life and, and have a great te- testimony on top of that. And we hope that 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 wears off on on us as we finish out our lives and so forth. But anyway, uh, I, I did that. I said that because I was able to rejoice uh, this week, re- being reminded of many things in my own life and how uh, how I understood the word and how I under, understand it now in the sense that I'm beginning to age and some of those things are falling by the wayside, so to speak, because of, you know, the way we are physically. And, uh, but I'm able to rejoice in the Lord and, uh, certainly, uh, I, I think we all can do that. And, and, uh, so I don't want to get too far off base here. Uh, so I have misplaced my, my notes and I'm going to try to make it through here and we'll trust the Lord on that. Uh, I, I'm looking at, uh, as I was reading these things concerning the lessons for this week, and concerning the Apostle Paul, uh, what I what I be, began to do is uh, make a list of the Greek words that have to do with uh, suffering, uh, afflictions, tribulation, uh, anxiety. Uh, the word distress comes to mind. So I've got a list started here of ten different words that, for my own sake anyway, I want to put together. But... Uh, what we're seeing here is that this is these are human beings that we're reading about in the Bible, and in the case of the Apostle Paul, who is one human being that really uh, demonstrated the power of resurrection, the power of of, uh, of of just being able to survive and live. And so, this letter to the Corinthians, which I'm going to kind of put aside. Uh, read, we'll look at a few things. We've, we've looked at, we've reread several things 
for the last few weeks uh, that current con- that concerned Paul in that early part of that ministry, and uh, and then uh, others along the way we read about and the the effect it had on them. But each of us have if, and we all have in common is that uh, due to creation from Adam on and so forth and be, and what uh, where Satan. Uh, stands in all our lives and our history and, and what's ahead. Uh, uh, we have, we certainly need these scriptures personally to make it even sometimes day by day. So we trust the Lord for that and thank the Lord for that. And, uh, and what I'm going to, what I thought about was here was Paul in his latter years and we read, uh, and I'm going to have to do some of this by memory. Let's turn over to Second uh, Timothy, the fourth chapter. Let's see if I got this right here. And uh, we're going to look at some verses here, just a few verses. Fourth chapter, and list of verse. Uh, well, this is kind of the end of, or I'm sorry, uh, Paul speaking to Timothy mentions those that were part of the ministry. Some of them had, uh, such as Demas, had forsaken him, and uh, but then he goes on and he speaks of some others. But it's it's narrowed down to just a few people at this particular time in Paul's life, and he asked. Uh, see, verse 12, Antichicus have I sent to Ephesus. So there were those who were faithful still available for this ministry. And if you look at some of those names, it would be good just to stop and take a look at them. What, what was so uh, uh, important about Christians to go, going to Galatian, Titus and the Dalmatian? He goes on and names some of these things. And, the Lord, and he knows he's near the end of his life here. And so in verse 13, he says, I, The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. And we won't go into detail as to what is here, but here we have uh, in some level of what you might call a scroll. Not necessarily, it, is, it isn't a scroll, but here, here was things that dealt with the Old Testament scriptures in general that Paul partially asked for. And, uh, and what does it say about him? But, but especially the parchments, the books and the parchments. Paul, at the end of his life, he wanted to see some of these, the record and so forth. And and being a Jew and a Pharisee and who knew the scriptures very well, whether he was whether he was saved or not, those scriptures were dear to those people, as was Paul before he before the Lord uh, saved him, uh, and. He, these things were dear to him, and I, it makes me wonder. And I believe, <clears throat> as uh, as uh, we look at a couple of these things that he spoke about, certainly these these words meant something to him to see them in on paper or on those uh, items that they used to uh, express these things or to uh, demonstrate these things, uh, and. And they were fresh in his mind, I believe. And so if we go back and look at, uh, well, right here in Timothy, the second chapter of verse 15 that we all read almost every week or we hear almost every week read, 
and that has to do with right division, we read we read this, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And if we go back in the Old Testament scriptures, so here's Paul in the year 69, and we're going to go way back in the scriptures, and we and I think all of you are aware of this, we go back to Proverbs chapter 3, verses uh, 6 onward here. What do we read? Uh, in verse 5 of chapter 3 of Proverbs 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall rightly divide thy paths. I believe these words meant something to the Apostle Paul, that he could taste some of these things from, take and taste uh, some of these things from the Old Testament that were dear to him, and uh, and here we have the, some of the actual words used, along with back in, Psalm, or in uh, Genesis chapter 4 concerning whom? Concerning Cain. Uh, real quickly. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bared Cain, and said, I've gotten a man, even the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain bought of the fruit of the ground and brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and the fat thereof. And the and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and, and the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou, why art thou wroth? And why is thy, thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And unto thee shall his, shall, shall be his desire, and shall rule over him. And the word there, it says, If thou not doest, if thou doest not well, and the word well here is the same thing he would have read when he read Second Timothy 2.15. And that was, what was uh, let me reread how this would read. Read, read to you how this should read. If thou doest rightly, shalt thou be accepted. And if thou doest, if, you're not, if thou dost do not rightly divide, between your offering and the sin offering, sin lies at the door. And so, uh, there, here in Paul's mind, here's a man who would read something like this, and it would mean a lot more than what it does to, to us, I believe, just because he can see it. That's not the only place he does that. Let's turn over to Philippians chapter 3, or I'm sorry, chapter 1. Philippians, oops, and let's look around verse, uh, well, let's see where we're going to go here. It helps when you have your, verse, your notes. Uh, 1, 14 to 19, let's read this. 
And many of the brethren in the Lord, well, I need to read back a little bit, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the Praetorian and in other all other places. Uh, so Paul speaks about his bonds and what's going on here, and he says, and, and what's going on even at the palace or at the Praetorian, the guard himself. He had been such so influential. And there's a long story here that that's of, of great interest to I think each of us in there. How that <clears throat> those who guarded him, many many of those, several of those came to know the Lord themselves. And uh, there's evidence of it here and further in the book here, but we don't have time to do that. He says, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident of my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is great. This is. This goes along with reading in in uh, Corinthians. It's, it's uh, wonderful how uh, uh, these people who happened to be from Macedonia, from Philippi, from the Macedonia area, and so forth. This is ten, twelve years after the things that we've been reading so far in the uh, concerning the epistles during the Acts period. Uh, this is this is where it's come. This Philippian people had. Uh, you remember he was a, when he went to Philippi first time. Him and Silas ended up getting beat almost to death, and and were placed in prison. And this is the result. Some ten, twelve years later, whatever it might be, he says uh, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Now listen to this verse. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit. Let's read on just a little bit here. According to my earnest expectation, my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. So he's talking about life and death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. For I'm pressed. I'm, just in a, I'm, I'm in a straight betwixt two. I'm pressed. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. So let's go back one more time and look at these words. Verse 19. For I let this shall turn to my salvation. Turn with me to the book of Job 13. And what do you think the subject is? Job chapter 13. I'm not going to read the whole verse here. Let's see. I'm not going to see what I need. We're going to read 13 through 16. And you'd have to read all of the context here. But here's some words of words of uh, Job in his defense. Verse 13. Hold your peace. Let me alone, that I may speak and let come and let come on on me what will. He says, whatever's going to happen. So he begins to talk about life and death too. And he says, what comes, you know, he says, 
it'll come if that's, if that's going to happen. If wherefore do I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in mine hand? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. Verse 16, here's the verse we want. He also shall be my salvation. What did Paul say over here in Philippians? For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. Paul must have been reading the book of Job somehow. Got some scrolls on this. And word for word in the Greek, he takes that Septuagint version of the Bible and uses the exact same words. Not the entire verse. These words here that's that speak of, uh, he also shall be my salvation. So, if we have, we have, uh, these thoughts, uh, for, through the Apostle Paul, but it brings to, uh, our attention how important the scriptures are, how much we understand it, and, and how much of that are we supposed to understand? How much of that are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to rightly divide it and chuck, chuck, well, chuck a lot of the stuff we read? Uh, what does it say in, is it First Timothy or Second Timothy? Doing this by memory. All scripture. Yeah, all scripture. Given by inspiration of God. Uh, yeah, that would be in. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. So this is in three, Second Timothy three, verse. Uh, let's start in verse fourteen. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that, <clears throat> that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So we have, we can go on and on finding things, I believe, to support some of these ideas, but uh, you, you think about what Paul went through, and much much of that was tearing at him because of his own people, and he saw the worst in his own people, and yet he was able to love them much like the Lord Himself. How the Lord Himself, in spite of the things that happened to him, showed the love and and spoke of the love of Christ and what it. Uh, the, the love of God and what that would mean. So, anyway, just kind of putting together some thoughts that concern, uh, and, and, and using up a little bit of time here because, like I say, I've lost my notes here. But uh, here we see important things, I believe, that's associated with what we're talking about here, which has to do with sufferings. I'm kind of dragging it out, but I, it's uh, there's still a side of it, I think, that, that we each can use, and, and I think we'll finish with today. I'm not going to go into a long uh, ex, uh, explanation because I don't have some of the 
some of the notes with me that I really wanted to go over. Uh, one thing that came to my mind here and I want to share, I mean, along with this same idea, last week or two weeks ago when we spoke, we took a few minutes and looked at Barnabas and what, uh, and how that was associated with the Corinthian believers and so forth. And, uh, I, I started thinking about Timothy himself because, uh, let's turn to a verse, I think it's in 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's see if we can find this. I said First Timothy. Uh, I'm looking for the verse here that Paul speaks of Timothy's youth. Uh, verse 12. 4.12 Let no man despise thy youth, but be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. What I want to look at is here, we take, if we take this verse at what it's giving us, and that is the fact that he's calling him, he's, he's saying, let no man despise thy youth. And I don't think we have any way of telling exactly what age he was. And, uh, but we can go back through the book of Acts and kind of piece together, uh, what age he might be. But what really gets me here, and I don't want to say bothers me here, but is he's talking about Timothy's youth. And then this whole book is a letter to Timothy to make sure that he is uh, being faithful. And he's been put in trusted. He's been entrusted with some truth, and he, he, and he needs faithful with that. And, uh, and I, I kind of look back through the through the Acts period and some of the epistles and through the book of Acts itself. And when I think of Timothy, I'm thinking, well, he's, he was just Paul's friend here that was along the way, and uh, he needed a lot to learn. But rather than that, I've looked at it another time here, and I'm thinking, no, wait a minute. Timothy's one of the, the most faithful guys there is in this whole program. That Paul has to deal with. And I think he's used, his name shows up more than the others. I didn't look at every name in there, uh, like Silas and uh, Titus and some of the others. But here's, we're going to take a quick look at perhaps something to help us kind of age him. And, um, I mean, if you, if you think about it with the information we have, he's, uh, this book that we're reading here in Second Timothy, First Timothy, is written around 67 A.D. So if you take away, uh, if we take away and go back to approximately 57, that's 10 years. That's uh, that's before the mystery and so forth has been revealed. And uh, it's in the early 50s is when Paul comes in. I mean, I'm sorry, Timothy comes into being. And I know he wasn't five or six years old. He had to have enough age to do some things. But what gets me is his maturity that we might overlook. Uh, partly because Paul kind of leads us here to believe that, I mean, or he's, he's very concerned about Timothy and he, and he gets uh, serious with him on, uh, on his faith and his faithfulness and so forth. And in fact that he's about to carry the torch, uh, after Paul passes away. 
so just real quickly, Paul, Timothy comes on the scene. We won't, well, we will read it. We'll read these real quickly. Timothy comes on the scene in 1 Timothy 4, 6. Is that right? No, oh, that's what we just read. I'm sorry. Comes uh, on the Acts chapter 16, verse 1. We'll do these kind of quickly. But just notice his maturity as we go through these uh, things during the Acts period. Uh, in Acts chapter 16, the first verse there, Paul has already been to Galatia. Paul has already uh, gone throughout that Galatian area. And in chapter 13 and 14, he spoke to those people. And um, let's read this real quick. And uh, 16.1, then came to, uh, this is his second journey. This is after the, uh, con- the conference that was held in Jerusalem with uh, the other disciples and so forth. And we know all those stories. But he says, then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was, was there named Timotheus, a son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek. Does it tell us a whole lot other than the fact that where he came from, most likely Derby? And you got to think about how old was he here? And uh, and without going through, well, I guess we could. You could look at what the law, how the law was used, and so forth in his life, and whatever, and we'd know a little bit about him. But if just out of pure logic or whatever, uh, if we put the numbers together, he what is he here? Let's just say he's 20. And if, if that's the case, uh, we're already in the 14th year of Paul's ministry, if I recall. And, uh, and this is when he brings him on. And if you go through, maybe we don't have time to look at all these. Uh, in chapter 17, we remember this, Silas and Timothy, and Silas' name comes first in this. Uh, they were with Paul, if you remember they were with Paul at Philippi, and that's where Paul and Silas uh, were in prison and so forth. So Timothy was there, he witnessed that. And then uh, they came out of town, if you remember, they get uh, get him out of town, and he, hand, he after going through Berea and Thessalonia and and so forth. And uh, Paul heads for Athens, but Silas and Timothy stay there. And they minister during that time. We are not told a whole lot about the details, but here's Timothy at a very young age, and possibly uh, if he was in his early 30s in, in in the book of Timothy, then he would have been in his late 20s. Uh, here and, uh, and so Paul is going to watch after him and so forth. Uh, if we go on to chapter 18, uh, they him and Silas come from Macedonia and they join join Paul in Corinth. And then in chapter 19, uh, Paul get takes Timothy and Erastus and sends them to Macedonia. Once again, he's putting a lot on his shoulder, on Timothy's shoulder, and and Timothy's. Makes the grade. Uh, uh, in twenty, he's one of six or seven that are selected to go with Paul into Asia. And once again, that's Timothy. And then when we get into the book of Corinthians, uh, Timothy's name is mentioned, and and he's once again he's a valuable person to the Apostle Paul. So without going through, and we need a lot more details. We can go through a lot more details in this. 
we get begin to see that here here's a man who's spoken of in his youth who's probably in his mid 30s maybe a little bit less or whatever what does that mean uh it might bother some people that Paul is or that the book of Timothy uh, includes that we read of here first Timothy uh deals with a time thing that probably in Timothy's life was in his 30s and that um I think there's a concern about is he too young at this time in the scriptures to be doing all these things and, and what Paul's doing with him here in First Timothy and Second Timothy. Anyway, those that, that requires a little attention uh, and detail about it. But I think if what you do is is look at those scriptures, uh, I think Paul's or Timothy's name occurs thirty. I forget now. Twenty. I'm sorry. Twenty-eight. Twenty-six times. Uh, if you look it up, you need to look at the not only Timothy but Timotheus uh, to get the exact numbers and whatever. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, this has a lot to do with partly with time, timing, and so forth. But more so about Timothy during the Book of Acts, and it's associated with some of these things that are dealing with suffering and the sufferings of Christ and so forth. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, I'm going to do, let's see what we want to do here. Uh, Okay. So having said that, I'm going to end here in just a few minutes because we've got this long list, uh, we've got this list of ten different words that have to do with suffering. Uh, I will just mention them. If you really want to look at them, I'm going to give you the the, uh, concordance number. Pathema, which means suffering, so we read that in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 24. We're not going to go look at these. But that was, that's, uh, the, the Greek word pathema is 3804. Uh, we have the word, these are words that we're going to see here that are <clears throat> associated with that period of time and associated with, uh, also after that period of time, the, the, the Acts period. Um, let me see if you really want this. We got afflictions. That's twenty three forty seven. Uh, another word for suffer is thirty nine fifty eight. The word for agitate or trouble is five zero one five. Another word for trouble um, to stir up is zero five nine six. Distress, I think we're going to close with this one in a moment. Uh, I'm going to look at it in the book of Psalms. Distress is 03334. When I say zero, that means it's in the, it's in the Old Testament Hebrew. But it begins with that. Um, and here are three that go together. Actually, let's look at these kind of quickly. Turn over to Matthew 26. So now, one thing that I've, I've been, uh, Poor at is, uh, hang on a second here. I need to pull this, get this up in my screen here. So this is, uh, Matthew 26, 37. We might back up a little. Let's start in verse 36. I've got a few more things just to cover real quick. He says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. So we're going to learn about suffering 
at the greatest uh, level. And saith, he comes, he comes to Gethsemane and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and two, the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heaven, he, heavy. So the word sorry is this one of our words here. It's 3076, the one we just, I think I just mentioned. If I didn't, it's the one we're looking at. It is the Greek word lupeo. It is, uh, oops, am I losing it? I'm sorry. Okay. Um, it means to make sorrowful effect with sadness, cause grief. And if, uh, and, and very heavy, he finishes with. So this word heavy is the word 85. And I believe Tony is one of Two or three at the most that has this type, this software, which has to do with Bible works. Uh, and here it has added something to the to the word heavy, and it says to be troubled, great distress or anguish, depressed. This is of the Lord. Now he says, this is the strongest of the three Greek words, number eighty-five. Number 916 and number 3076. I'll do that again. It's, these are, this is, uh, we're in Matthew 26, 37. The word heavy at the very end, speaking of the Lord, this is at Gethsemane, Gethsemane. We're told that this is the strongest word that could have been used in the Greek for the Lord here. And that's 85, 916, and three zero seven six, and uh, and we see if we keep if we read on down to verse forty three, and uh, this time he he let's, let's look at verse forty two, and he went away again and the second time and prayed saying, "Oh my Father, if this cup may not, may not pass away from me except I drink it, will be done." And he came and found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy. And here the word is the word that we get under 916. It's the word bereo, to burden, to weigh down, depress. So here's the, here are three of the Greek words. Not counting, there's more than this, but the three that's associated with. And I think if you look at Mark's, uh, Mark and you look at Matthew and compare them, You'll see some of these, how these words are used, and they, they are used differently by each one. So, anyway, I'm going to close by reading uh, a psalm. Let's look, go to Psalm chapter 34. Um, if I can get it back up here. Let me see, I'm going to do that. No, not on my screen, I'm going to do it from my Bible. So, Psalm 34. Uh, let's, it's only 22 verses. We'll close with this. It's a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. So if you look at, uh, in the, you look at the margin here, it tells you when the, where this was. You can find out about, it. and that was in First Samuel, uh, chapter 21, I believe, through chapter 22. Uh, anyway, look in the margin there. And so David was. There's a period of time that David was in great stress. 
We're going to read, the, read here two, word, two verses that uses the word distress, D-I-S-T-R-E-S-S. And it says here, I will bless the Lord at all times. You can imagine here, this is when Paul, when Timmy, Timothy, or I'm sorry, David was uh, delivered from something. So, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered. And I've got my note here on the side of my Bible. He he snatched me away from all my fears. This is what we, most of our studies really dealing with it. It has to do with our fears and how we trust the Lord. And here he said he was snatched away from it. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Out of his distress. Here's our word distress. The angel, and when I, I'm, I mentioned distress because I believe it associates with some of the things we just looked at a few moments ago. Uh, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and deliver them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Keep getting this idea over and over about fearing the Lord and what he's capable of doing. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Any good. Come ye children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His eyes are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against them the devil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of their distress, or snatch away. And deliver there is snatches away. And snatches away them out of all their uh, distress. The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of, contra- of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions... Of the righteous. I got a feeling that Paul read this a few times while he was in his ministry. And many of those who uh, were Jewish leaders who uh, (coughs) spoke for the Lord. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord snatches them away out of them all. He keepeth all his bones. No, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. And they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. So it kind of hooks you in in verse 21. Uh, 
I'm sorry. Verse 20, he keepeth all his bones, no, or not, not one of them is broken. So this, this connects us in with, uh, the Lord and his, uh, and his final days on this earth and uh, on the cross and so forth. So anyway, let's stop there, have a word of prayer and, uh, trust that the Lord will use his good word and <coughs> these thoughts. <coughs> Excuse me, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, your truth, what we have to lean on. Thank you for it and for the wonderful power of resurrection that assures all of this. Thank you for each one with us this morning. Pray for those who are in need or who are healing, and we ask uh, your love and blessing upon them especially. And and for each and every one, we thank you for you are our access. You, uh, we have access to you. And these things we thank you in the name of our Lord Christ Jesus. Amen.